Hi! Welcome to another life-changing message from NBC Church. We hope that this message encourages, challenges and equips you in your walk with Christ. Please consider leaving us a review for the podcast on your chosen platform as it helps with getting the gospel out to thousands of people. Thank you! As Jesus proclaimed the kingdom life in Matthew 5-7, the crowds recognized his authority. And then in 8 and 9, he demonstrates that authority. The Pharisees and the leaders start to reject him, and he rejects them. And he sends out in Matthew 9 into 10, the disciples, the 12, the prototype of the church into the community. All this time, John, the forerunner, has been in prison in a dungeon because he spoke out against Herod taking his brother's wife. And John hears all of this and he has proclaimed Jesus as the, the one whose winnowing fork is in his hand, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. John hears these, the works of Christ, we're told, in verse 2. But you can sense he doesn't see the judgment coming. When's he going to claim the kingdom? And so in verse 3 of Matthew 11, he sends his disciples with this question. Art thou he that should come, or should we look for another? And it's a question that all of us ask at some time or another in our lives. Because all of us at some time in our lives have a dungeon time, where things close in. might not be a physical dungeon, or there are plenty of Christians who are there at the moment. The dungeon of self-doubt, of, of unbelief, sometimes of sickness. Even as we go through, as David prayed, the dungeon of all these evil laws coming upon us, directly tending to suppress the preaching of the gospel, abortion to birth, all these things. And we ask the question, are you in control, God? Is, this, is Jesus really the one who's in control? Or should we be looking to someone else? And so Jesus answers that question in this chapter. And he does it firstly by affirming clearly, absolutely to John, I am the Messiah. I am the one who, who, who has come, who should come. You don't have to look for another. And that's really in the movement of the chapter from verse 4 right through to 24. And he does that in a number of ways and we'll unpack that. And then in verses 25 through to 27, he says, Because I'm the Messiah, I'm doing something far greater than you even thought, John. I'm revealing God, revealing the Father. And he closes the chapter with 28 to 30, and he says, For you who are in a dungeon, who are troubled, come to me, and I'll have rest, and you'll find rest for your souls. So let's look at his, his great affirmation. I am the Christ. <clears throat> so they come with this question. Are you he who is, who, who is to come or should we look for another? And Jesus says, go and show John the things which you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. 
The poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And it's a wonderful thing to pause and think of those words. The blind receive their sight. I've had, for the last couple of years, issues with my eyesight. Regularly go to the eye specialist. Lots and lots of people, children, older people with eye issues. Complicated machines. But here, these were people who were blind. Some born blind, some couldn't see at all. And they were healed in a moment. It's just an amazing thing. This whole area of Galilee where he was ministering was being changed. And then the lame walk. We know the man who was paralytic, who couldn't walk, and he was raised up. It's in our terms, quadriplegic, semi uh, uh, paraplegics, raised and given life to walk again. The deaf hear. And then the dead are raised. We don't read any of that in up to Matthew 11, but it obviously happened. The dead were being raised. We read about it in Luke in one instance. The whole place is bursting with life. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then Jesus says this to John. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. John's thinking, is he the one? And Jesus says, all these things are done. And John, if if you're not offended in me, if you're not put off by what I'm doing, you're blessed. That word offended is um, a sense of um, scandalized, so that you reject it. It's a very current issue because there's so much people get offended so easily these days. There are laws to stop offensive speech. But in Jesus' days, as you go on in Matthew, the Pharisees were offended at what he said. The multitudes were offended because he was one of them. And when you're offended, what happens is you do not hear anymore what the other person's saying. So Jesus is saying, John, if you if you may not understand what's happening, but if you're not offended, if you don't reject what I'm doing, if you trust me, you're blessed. And then from verse 7 through to 13, Jesus takes another tack. And he says... John in effect I'm the Messiah I've come everything now has changed and I'm the only one you can go to I'm the one who is to come and you should not look for another but now I'm the only one and he says to the people what went you out in the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind a man clothed in soft raiment it's an interesting word soft it's effeminate And he may have been having a go at Herod, who was into that sort of thing. But what went you out to see? A prophet? I say to you more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So in verse 10, he's he's told John, these are the wonderful things I'm doing. Uh, Therefore, believe me. But it's not just the things, because... That's what he says in verse verse 5 is really a take from Isaiah 35 where the prophet says, Your God will come with vengeance. 
with a recompense. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. And it's also a text from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to preach good news to the captives. So he said, John, because of what I'm doing and because it's fulfilling the scripture, I am Messiah. <coughs> but here in verse 10, he says, he takes us to Malachi, where the, 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 the prophet says, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall appear, should go before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. But Jesus changes the text. He says, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So God's talking and he's applying it to himself. He's saying, I am the one who's coming, the Lord who's going to suddenly appear in his temple. And he goes further in verse 14, because in Malachi 4, Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he says, John, if you would have it, is Elijah. And so he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah. I'm the fulfillment of prophecy in Malachi. And because of that, verse 11, among those that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And he's saying to, John, saying to us, saying to John, now that, I come, now that I have come, everything has changed. You can't go back to John. You can't go back to the Old Testament way of living. Something completely new has come. You have to come to me. And the only way you can find now rest for your soul, the only way you can find the ability to live in the dungeon is by coming to me. And he says that to us today. There is no other way to find satisfaction for your soul. Peter opened with that, that psalm is by coming to Jesus. But that is the way. We can have every need of our soul met as we come to the Messiah. And it, in verses 16 <coughs> through to 20, he takes a different tack. And he says this, he says, God, not only have I come and I proved who I am by what I've done by the fulfillment of prophecy. So there's a new way now. The only way is through me. He says, God has done, I have done everything possible to show you that this is the way to God. To show you myself. To show you that I'm the Messiah. Because he has this lovely story in verse 16. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It's like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. So this is the picture. This is the marketplace. And there are two groups of children, one on that side and one on that side. And the one on the left says to their fellows on the other side, Come, let's play wedding. Let's, let's play. And they play a, a tune. And the other said, No, we don't want to play. And then, okay, well, let's play funeral. And they mourn. Come, let's play. No, we don't want to play. And Jesus is saying to his people, to the people there, and he says it to us. He's, he'll say that to Australia, really. We have done, God has done everything to reach you. 
You think of what we heard in the mission spot in Germany, reaching out to the to the drugs people in in Mozambique through farming, in so on the ships in Australia through all the latent the the Franklin Graham Crusades last year, through the daily preaching of the word, through the internet, through the radio. And we as a community, God does all of that, and we as a community say, no, we don't want to play. We'd rather watch Netflix. We'd rather watch the footy. We don't want to play. And Jesus says that attitude, verse um, 19, wisdom is justified of her children. That's, That's showing where your heart is. Children of God, the ones who are going to respond to him, will respond to that. But if you're saying no, you are choosing your own judgment. And so, he's saying to John in the dungeon, John, we're doing everything, I'm doing everything to reach this generation. Because John came as a prophet preaching, I've come as a man of the people, and the people say, no, we don't want to play. Don't be like that. Respond to God. And then in verses 20 to 24, he says, and this is taken back to John, John, the day of judgment is coming. Because he says, he begins to upbraid the cities. That word upbraid is a really interesting word. It's got the sense of, he's almost, he's baring his teeth at them. He's almost... Not a nice thing to say, but almost snarling at them in anger. I was, Amanda had lunch with some of the Greek Orthodox community this week with the bishop, and I asked them what this word meant. And the Greek bishop said it meant pain, pain. He was pained by the attitude of these people. Because he says to them, War unto you, Cherazin. War unto you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which had been done among you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. They're more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And again, Jesus has referred to Isaiah, to Malachi. He's now referring to the, ju- to the prophecy in Isaiah and in Joel that the day of judgment is coming. And he's saying... John, you may not see this judgment in what I'm doing now, but it is coming. It is coming. And unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. And it's uh, the Apostle Paul speaking to the Greeks said, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world by one man, Jesus Christ. There is a day in history where this judgment is coming. We cannot avoid it. And these cities, they are no more. Cherazin, Bethsaida, they were lost in the sands of time because they didn't repent. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher of yesteryear, said, if we repent individually and that works out in our social engagements and then in our civic engagements, our cities will rise to the kingdom of heaven. But if we reject his call to repentance individually and socially and there's our nation. Sin will submerge on our cities. And that's what happened to these cities. And that is the word of warning for Australia. 
for Narakot, for the Southeast, if we re- continue to reject Jesus Christ, sin will get us. And it is doing that now. We can sense, as David prayed, all this terrible laws coming in. And sin will get our cities. We're called to repent. So that's the great affirmation. I am the Messiah. By what I've done, by the fulfillment of prophecy, by the fact that there's a new regime set out, by the fact that we've done, God has done everything to draw us, and by the impending judgment. And then Jesus commences from verse 25, 2 to, 20, 2 to 30 really, but we'll look at 25 to 27 first with this wonderful truth that the Messiah reveals the Father. And it's some of the most sublimest words that Jesus ever spoke. I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, fathers, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither not any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will will reveal him. The word reveal, which comes out in verse 25 and in verse 26, is unveiling. And, And the picture is this of an artist who's painted a wonderful picture, and he's, you've seen, may have seen the movies covered by cloth, and he pulls the cloth away, and everyone goes, <sighs> We had that experience last time we were down in Mount Gambia. One of Jonathan's friends is an artist, and he's painted this magnificent picture. He brought it rolled up, and he un, unrolled it, opened it up. It's a two meter picture of an eagle. It's just, and he just got, <sighs> And so God is saying here that he reveals Jesus Christ. And he doesn't reveal them to the wise and the prudent. That's sophisticated and people who are satisfied in their own knowledge. And, and that's so much a, a, a testimony to our, uh, to our nation because there are so many people who are satisfied in their own knowledge. Their own knowledge has created a cage for them. And you hear it Often when people talk about, yeah, I, I believe in science, so I don't believe what of this thing about Jesus. And they've created by their own limited understanding a box, which, is, which they think is their universe, but it's really a cage. But the babes, the immature, the ones who know they don't know, God can speak to them. And this passage tells us something remarkable, that every Christian is a work of a miracle work of God. Because if you're a Christian here today, it's because God has spoken to your heart directly and revealed Christ to you. That's what the apostle said in in the book of Galatians. He said, this gospel which I preach was not revealed to me by men or taught my men, but by the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ. God revealed it Jesus directly to my heart. And I want to do something now which I've not never done before, but that's all right. Uh, I want to ask Stephen Graham, of, of our friends who've come up with me, to, to give us his testimony 
because it's a wonderful story of how God revealed himself directly to a young man. Stephen. Uh, that was a young man uh, 40 years ago. This <laughs> looks slightly different uh, this morning. Uh, I was born in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, my parents uh, were what were called uh, 10 pound paddies. We were assistant uh, migrants. Uh, we came out to Australia in the early 70s. Uh, I grew up in Adelaide. Uh, I grew up in the Roman Catholic uh, tradition, Irish Catholics, probably the, one of the more interesting type of uh, Catholics out there. Uh, so I went to a Catholic school, grew up in a Catholic home. Uh, I uh, played sports. Uh, I was an altar boy uh, within the church, went to Catholic uh, you know, church for uh, up until my, uh, my conversion. Uh, but beneath all of that veneer of respectability uh, was a young man seething uh, with angst and anger and anxiousness. Um, and uh, really all of that just covered over what was sort of bubbling uh, underneath. Uh, in my first year of uh, university, I was on my way to a lecture one day and I was uh, essentially bailed up by a couple of believers who were doing cold contact evangelism. And uh, they asked me a series of questions. I, I thought it was an interesting conversation. I can't really recall being swayed by anything they shared. They opened their Bibles and now they asked me questions like, you know, uh, if you died tonight, where do you think you'd uh, go? And being a Catholic, I believed in heaven and hell. And I sort of said, well, I hope I'd, uh, I'd go to heaven. Uh, the more interesting thing was while they were talking to me, my friends were queuing up along uh, the wall. And uh, at the end of the conversation, they asked me if I'd like to study the Bible. And I said, yeah, why not? And... Uh, and after they left and I caught up with my friends, they, uh, they said, well, Stephen, now that these boys are going to get their hooks into you. They're probably Moonies or Luddites or something. But, uh, uh, but amazingly, over the next three or four weeks, I turned up to do these uh, Bible studies and uh, talked about the person of Jesus Christ, his work and the relevance of that to me in October 1980. And uh, gradually I came to this place in a dimly uh, lit uh, tutorial room and uh, I came to see that uh, if I was the only sinner to have ever existed uh, in the world that the cross uh, would still have happened and like Paul uh, as we studied the scripture I came to realize that he loved me and gave himself for me and bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place uh, condemned uh, he stood uh, and I can remember coming to faith and repentance in that uh, little uh, dimly lit room and walking up out into the uh, Barsmith Library Plaza which is now the IT hub and it was almost like 18 years of uh, tumult and angst and anger uh, if you can imagine that as a raging sea all of a sudden it was mill pond flat and it was like the peace with God and the peace of God met at that point. And I didn't understand any of that uh, as a new believer. But in the coming weeks and months that uh, occurred after that, uh, I became a new creature in Christ. 
And uh, the transformation was quite remarkable, really. I, I think some of my friends wondered if I was the, uh, if I was the same person. I, I think over the last 40 years, briefly, I could share, uh, God has ministered his grace and goodness to me in three distinct, in lots of ways, but in three distinct ways. Uh, Philippians 4.13 says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That doesn't mean I can play football for the crows or be a multi-billionaire. It means wherever God puts me, Christ is sufficient. Uh, if I'm in the will of God, God will equip me, will be with me, will sustain me. And I think over the last 40 years, and it has been 40 years, October 80, uh, that has been my uh, consistent uh, experience. I think also in uh, being married uh, for the last 27 years, uh, God has used my wife. Uh, Proverbs says uh, she will do him, her husband, good all the days of his life. And that good is the same word as in Genesis 1, that when God created the world, uh, he saw that it was good. So my wife has done me Genesis 1, good uh, all uh, the days of my life. I think finally as a father, uh, uh, my wife and I have uh, walked through the valley of the shadow of raising six teenage young adult children. And uh, those of you who have done that uh, will uh, identify with what that actually means. But the biggest change has been in my life, not uh, theirs, because I've come to a uh, just like the father of the two prodigal sons, really, because there were two. There was the son who said, give me, give me, give me. And there was the other son who said, what have you ever done for me? And of course, as parents, we walk, straddle that sort of uh, line between the two of them. But if you go to the end, of, the real punchline in that parable is when the father goes out to the old, the father goes out to both sons. He runs to one, but he goes out to the second and the most amazing statement that he states to that older, hard-hearted son was, all that I have is yours. And that is, for me, as a parent, you know, I sat down with my children and you sort of have these conversations with them, but really, and sometimes you're in finger-pointing mode as you are as a parent, but as you talk to your child, God is talking to you at the same time, saying, you know, all those things you're saying to your children, that's you really, and to see the heart of God in dealing uh, with those two sons has been a tremendous sort of hollowing out of me and my understanding of the gospel because the grasp of God's father heart for not only my family but for the world at large, when you consider what he endures even with us as believers but as unbelievers, we're called in that sense that no matter where we are in our relationships, we're to reflect the fact that God is consistently and persistently uh, gracious and that all that he has uh, is yours, is ours. And uh, I think that's given me a grasp of the gospel, a heart for the gospel that uh, I think before I became a parent, I, I, I probably didn't have. And it's the heart that God wants us all to have, not only for our own children, uh, but for those who are... Uh, outside of the kingdom. Thank you, Stephen. And that, what Stephen said there, the heart of the Father is what Jesus is talking about here because the great, he reveals himself 
but he reveals himself to reveal the Father because in verse 27 he says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and him to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. And that is the greatest thing that Jesus, as he, if you could imagine him talking to John, saying, John, I've come to bring, heal the sick, raise the dead, to preach the gospel, to, to bring judgment, but I've come to reveal God, the Father, to human hearts. Something more than you ever thought, John. And that is what he wants to do for all of us. Because when we understand the Father, the sovereignty of God, the complete control he has, the ability to reach into a human heart, his omnipresence, his power, his grace, his love, then, then in whatever dungeon we're in, we can have rest unto our soul. And that's what Jesus finishes this passage with in verse 28 to 30. The call to come to him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we saw some of that rest exemplified as Stephen told us about this angst and anxiety and anger in his heart. And there was a mill pond after he met Christ. Because these verses 28 to 30, they're so familiar. And we tend to take them as a separate package. But they are not. They are part of this discourse from verse 25. And Jesus is saying, you can find rest because I will lead you to the Father. I will introduce you to the Father. And when you know the Father, then you can have rest that His will for you is good and acceptable and perfect and that's rest. We live in a world where we can choose to try to live to please men. And that is hard. Anybody who's been down that road, it's hard. Or the, the, the prevailing doctrine of the world is please yourself. And that is destructive because the more we please ourselves, the more we find the passions and the evil that's in our hearts consuming us. And that's what's happening to our world. But when we know the Father... And we take his yoke upon us. It's simple. Life is simply living to do God's will. To work out what do I do? Well this book tells me what to do. And then we do it. And that brings rest to our souls. As someone had said. Back in Nazareth. When the carpenter was there. He made good yokes. The cattle they loved his yokes. Because his yokes fitted perfectly and he's still he's still making good yokes for each of us if we come to him let us pray father we thank you for the great carpenter of galilee who makes really really good yokes they're easy their burdens light because they introduce us to the father thank you that this question that was asked so many years ago, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another, is answered so emphatically by Jesus that you are the Messiah, you are the one who is to come. 
and we can come to you and find rest unto our souls. Pray that in this Christmas time we would find that and we would tell others of this one who can bring rest to every soul. Thank you for joining us for church today. We pray that this message deepened your relationship to Christ and drives you to action. Our church is at 1 McDonald Street, Naracourt, South Australia, 10 a.m. Sundays, and you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please consider leaving a review as it helps to expose people to the gospel and great teaching across the nation. Thank you.